0: Just two days ago, we celebrated Good Friday. It was the day that Jesus died on the cross. We find ourselves here today on Easter celebrating his resurrection from the dead. Why do we celebrate these two things, especially his death on the cross? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 that the message of a man executed on the cross was a message of total folly in his day. Someone found a now famous piece of Roman graffiti mocking people who followed Jesus by showing him as a a donkey on the cross. Well, here's why we celebrate that fateful Friday. Because of a single word that Jesus uttered on the cross found in John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 30. It's the Greek word, tetelestai. It's only one word in Greek, but it's translated as three words in English. It is finished this is not a cry of resignation or a cry of defeat but rather a cry of victory of a task completed of a job well done it's an extremely rich word and i could spend a lot of time fleshing out its various meanings and how they related to what was happening on the cross that day but i want to focus on only one of those meanings Last week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and we saw there that our God is a good and loving Father. A Father who can be trusted with my life, my circumstances, with my soul. Last week, as we looked at that text, there was one line that really caught my eye. It was this line. Forgive us our sin debts as we forgive our sin debtors. You've probably heard it as simply, forgive us our debts. In Luke's version of this prayer, he says, forgive us our sins or our trespasses in the Old English. So that is why I translated it as sin debts. I said it last week, but I want to say it again. The Bible speaks of sin in many ways, and one of them is as debt. In doing so, it conveys the idea that every time we wrong him, it acts as a debit on our relational account with him. The Bible is clear that for all of us, our sin debt to God is something that's so large, it's unpayable by us. We think crossing over the chasm of the relationship between us and God is like jumping over a small ravine. When in reality, that gulf created by our sin debt is Grand Canyon-like in its size. It is insurmountable by us. We cannot pay off this debt. And finally, if you could, you don't want to pay off that debt. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the penalty of our sin, the wages of our sin, the price that our sin pays is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our disobedience and sins. And if you don't believe that reality, then listen to these words of Paul from Romans 7. I'm a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I, what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the bad things I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there within me. What a terrible man I am. Who will rescue me? You see, we are unable to live up to even our own standards of right and wrong, much less God's perfect standard, because we are spiritually dead. And beyond that, the Bible speaks of eternal death, where after the judgment, our soul lives forever, separated from God and His loving benefits, and all because of our sin death. So here's why that word tetelestai, that it is finished that Jesus uttered on the cross is so significant. In the ancient Roman world of Jesus' day, people could incur financial debt just as we do today. You could take out loans or owe someone for some good or service that was too large a sum to pay up front. Just as today, a record of that debt was kept. For us, it is kept in the digital world. For my grand- my grandparents, it was kept in a paper ledger. In the Roman world, the debt were kept on pieces of papyrus, a unique kind of paper made from dried Egyptian reeds. Archaeologists have dug up hundreds of receipts and records of debt from the time of Jesus. They all had something in common. When the debt was finally paid off, when the ledger was complete, the one who was owed would write at the bottom of the papyrus, "To Tetelestai. That one word meant The debt is paid. Nothing is owed. It's paid in full. It is finished. As I said, I'm unable to pay off my sin debt. You're unable to pay off your sin debt. It's too large. As we learn in the Lord's Prayer, our sin debts must be forgiven. It's the only way to have that debt removed. And that is where Jesus comes in on that Friday afternoon 2,000 years ago. Jesus on the cross was paying for the debt of your sin. He took my sin and my sin debt on the cross with him. He bore it all. Isaiah 53, 3, 5-6 says, He was wounded for the wrong things we did. He was crushed for the evil things we did. The punishment which made us well was given to him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. I quoted this last week, and I want to quote it again. Colossians two thirteen 13-14 says this, God forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the debt against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Jesus wasn't on that cross for any wrongdoing of his own. The Roman governor, Pilate, had already declared Jesus innocent. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He was without sin. He was on that cross, bearing the penalty for my sin. He was taking my sin debt upon himself, taking my penalty, my death upon himself. And there, on that cross, he took care of the unfavorable record of my sin debt he died to pay it all so that he could write on my spiritual ledger Tetelestai paid in full. I find it interesting that there was something else written on those papyrus debt records. Not only would they write the word Tetelestai, but they would also indicate the final payment of the debt by putting a large mark on the papyrus. It was the Greek letter chi. The Greek letter chi is in the shape of a cross. The mark that became the universal symbol for those who follow Jesus. Kai is also the first letter in the Greek word Christos, the word which we translate Christ, which means Messiah or Savior. So here is Jesus' promise. If I accept him or receive him and his free offer of forgiveness, his free offer of salvation from my sins and the death that they carry, then he will not only forgive me of my sins, but also adopt me into his family as a child of God. As the famous old hymn says if I accept his sacrifice on my behalf, my sin, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, all oh my soul. To tell us it is finished, Jesus' task is completed. Fully, finally, the debt is paid. In full. That is why we celebrate Good Friday. It's the day that Jesus took the full weight of my sin and my sin debt upon Himself, and He bore it on the cross so that I wouldn't have to. Now that is good news. I want you to hear my friend Kylie's story of how surrendering her life to Jesus set her free, not only from her sin, but also from the burden of having to be good enough.
1: My name is Kylie and this is my story. I grew up with this picture in my head of what it meant to be a good Christian and I poured everything that I had into being that person um, in order to earn God's approval. I went to church every Sunday, I prayed and I read my Bible, I tithed every month and I was involved in a lot of different avenues of ministry. I had a mental checklist of all the Christian things to do and I did them all passionately. But every time I messed up, which was very frequently, I was left feeling guilty and ashamed of my imperfection. No matter how well or how often I did all the things on my list of Christian expectations, I could not be good enough to earn God's approval. No amount of striving on my part was ever going to cut it. Um, Paul's description of the Israelites in Romans 10 actually perfectly describes my situation as well. The Message version says, The Jews are impressively energetic regarding God, but they're doing everything exactly backward. They don't seem to realize that salvation is God's business. Right across the street, they set up their own salvation shops and noisily hawk their wares. After all these years of refusing to deal with God on His terms, insisting instead on making their own deals, they have nothing to show for it. For years... Um, I, I poured myself into reaching God on my terms, and despite my greatest efforts, I still had nothing to show for it. The summer before my junior year of college, um, it became really clear to me that faith and following Jesus was not about um, earning my way, it was not about the checklists and the rules, it was about a personal relationship with Him. and. The Bible makes it clear that after um, entering into a relationship with Jesus, the next step is a baptism. Um, And I I was, in my mind, ready to commit to that um, and commit to that deeper level of surrender that that meant for me, but in my heart I really wrestled with whether or not it was worth it. And in, in the midst of all this, I had a conversation with my mentor that was absolutely groundbreaking for my faith. Um, I was pouring out my heart to her, all my fears and, and my questions. You know, was this the right decision? Um, was, was this worth um, submitting my faith and my understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus to an almost complete overhaul? Was it worth um, walking away from pretty much everything that I had worked for spiritually, this faith that had become comfortable and familiar to me after so many years? And I remember she, she looked at me and she leaned forward and she said, Kylie, you have to choose Christ. You have to choose Christ. And, and that's when I, I committed to, to that deeper surrender. Um, and I made the decision to, to be baptized. Because I realized um, fully, more fully than before in that moment, that um, it, was, it was about accepting the sacrifice that God um, made uh, by sending his son to die on the cross for my sins. It was about freely receiving what he offers through that sacrifice and not about trying to earn my own way, trying to earn his approval through my efforts. And so on January 27th, um, 2019, I was baptized. Um, I chose Christ um, and I, I surrendered my life. I surrendered a life of of chasing after a religion and with a standard that I would never be able to achieve in exchange for a life in relationship with a personal God who passionately and relentlessly pursues my heart.
0: Wow. Thanks Kylie. I love your story. You know our celebration doesn't stop with Good Friday. No, not at all. It only gets greater today as we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. The tetelestai was one of the last words he uttered on the cross that day 2,000 years ago. It was not his final word, so to speak. For three days later, Jesus rose alive from the grave, risen to new life. In so doing, the Father was fully vindicating his death and his effective payment for all sin. That's why Romans 4.25 says Jesus was given to die for our sins, and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. The Father, I mean the resurrection, sorry, was the Father's amen to the tetelestai of the crucifixion. But there was much more than that going on, much more. Jesus not only had to pay the price for our sins, but he also had to conquer what the Bible calls the last enemy death by going through death himself and then triumphantly rising again from death three days later jesus vanquished death and satan he rendered them ultimately powerless in revelation 1 17 to 18 john records his vision of jesus and his response and here's what he said when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. To hold the keys to something is to have authority and control over it. Jesus is the living one. The grave could not hold him because of his resurrection death has been stripped of its power here's why that is so significant because death hangs over humanity isaiah says like a dark and menacing shroud and the reality is is that many live in fear of death we don't think about it all the time but certain events like the death of a friend or like this virus bring the stark reality of death back before us right in front of our face, so to speak, where we cannot ignore it. I know of what I speak, for it is my story. I have known that fear intimately. The family at 12 has probably heard this one too many times. Sorry, guys, but as many of you know, I grew up unchurched. I had no faith. When I was a young teen, my 18-year-old cousin died in an accident. It was my first funeral. We drove down to Texas, went to the viewing the night before the funeral, and there we met the family and saw his body. On that day and at that moment, death and my fear of death was brought full force into my face. I could not ignore it. And I had two choices with that fear. Either I tried to ignore it and hide it, Hide those two realities of death and the fear of death, or I could face them. I chose to face it. I realized that day that the reason I had so much fear of death was because I did not know what lay beyond. I did not know who was there, if anyone. And I did not know what would be required of me. Even then, I was old enough to know that those were the greatest stakes I would ever face and I determined to find the answer to the questions that were haunting me. So my search began. I wasn't looking for religion. I just wanted to know what was reality so that I could know what to do with that reality. I eventually came to Jesus, and I'll get to the reason why in a moment. I became convinced that he was truly who he claimed to be, God in human flesh. And I became convinced of the truth of all he said, things like, in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Or John five twenty four to 25, where Jesus said, listen carefully, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And I assure you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So I surrendered my life to him and I invited him into my life as my Savior, as the one who had paid the debt of my sin. And also I received him as my Master, as my rightful King, whom I would seek to increasingly long to know, and to love, and to follow. And when I did that, I experienced the reality of something described in the book of Hebrews in the second chapter, where it says, since we have flesh and blood, he too, in our, he too shared in our humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And this is significant and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Since that time, when I bowed the knee to Jesus, the shroud of the fear of death has dropped from my shoulders. With Job, I now say with full confidence, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, He will stand on the earth. And after my body is decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. Now, I'm sure there are some listening right now who are thinking, Garen, you're living in a Pixar fantasy land. I understand. I've walked in those shoes. But as I said earlier, I wasn't interested in religion. I only wanted reality. And so I began a journey that, for me, was a very intellectual one. I had a lot of questions, and I needed a lot of answers. And not just subjective pie-in-the-sky answers, but rock-solid answers, based upon objective reality and something verifiable. And I found that in Jesus. Unlike all the world's other religious leaders, who have claim to have private encounters with God, or the divine, or whatever, unseen by anybody else, and then, who then proclaimed something they discovered, or that was revealed to them in that private encounter, Jesus showed up on the scene in full public view, unlike the rest. He never claimed to have had a private encounter in which he got a message for the world. He himself was the message. And I want you to know that makes all the difference. He didn't say, hey, in a private encounter, I receive the truth. No, he claimed, I am the truth. He didn't say, well, all hidden away by myself, I learned where to find life. No, he claimed, I am the life. And he didn't say, based on a private experience, I know the way. Follow me and I'll show you the way. No, he claimed, I am the way. From the very beginning, his claims were public and they were personal. In the public eye, he claimed to be the promised Messiah, the Savior. And more than that, he claimed to be God himself having stepped into human form. And from the beginning, he publicly demonstrated the reality of those amazing claims by his very public miracles. Things like calming storms, healing the sick, restoring the deaf and the blind, Things like walking on water and multiplying fish and bread. Things like raising the dead. Miracles done always in full view of the public, even before his staunchest enemies. He is the one I place my trust in. The one who claimed to be the full embodiment of God, who claimed to be the savior of the world. The one who said that the single piece of evidence he would offer of the validity of his public claims about himself, was his own rising from the dead three days after being put to death by the Jewish and Roman authorities. I don't have time to go into all the details, but the historical case for the reality of Jesus' claims, for many of his miracles, and for his death and especially his resurrection, the evidence is compelling. There is enough evidence for the seeking soul. That's what I found. And that's the reason I put my faith in him. He provided me with the reality, the objective evidence I needed as a foundation for my belief. That one event, his resurrection, it was the linchpin for those first followers, for the apostle Paul, for the thousands who put their trust in him in the days, weeks, and months after his resurrection from the dead. Because it was a public event, and it was grounded in history. That's why Paul said to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 25, verses 25 to 26, a few years after his resurrection, he said, What am I what I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these events. None of this has escaped your notice because it was done in public, not in a small, isolated corner of the world. For me, everything is based upon that one historic event, the resurrection of Jesus. My belief that He's Lord of all creation because of the resurrection. My trust that my sin debt truly has been forgiven because of the resurrection. My confidence that I am a child of the living God and that his spirit lives within me because of the historicity of the resurrection. And last but not least, my settled sense of hope and trust that difficulty and suffering and this virus and especially death will not have the last word in my life. He will have the last word. Because of the historical reality of his resurrection, I am convinced that on that last day, he will say, arise. And all of those who place their trust in him, trust in him and their lives in his hands, they will be raised to new life, to live forevermore on a fully restored creation, a place where we are told in the book of Revelation that God will wipe every tear from their eyes. That in that place there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I long for that day. My guess is that some who are hearing me today have not accepted his offer of forgiveness of sins and of an intimate relationship with him. Today, I want to invite you to step into that relationship. If you haven't received the new life that he promises, you can pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today with confession on my lips. For too long I've lived my life for myself, pursuing other things. And I know I've wronged you in this. I'm tired of my old way of life, and I long to turn to you. Today, I accept your free offer of forgiveness and a relationship with you. Jesus, I fully place my trust in you and now choose to base my whole life upon your death and resurrection. Please come into my life. I want to follow you and your leadership in my life from now on. Amen. If you said that prayer, would you let me know? If you're online with me right now at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, you will see a box pop up that says, I commit my life to Jesus. If you made a decision, would you click on that and let me know? I will literally be the one getting that response. If you're watching this after our 10 a.m. showing this Sunday, and you made that decision, you can go to our website to 12thave.org slash learn more, all one word. It should be on your screen, 12thave.org slash learn more. L-E-A-R-N-M-O-R-E, and you can connect with me there. I also know that there are some today hearing me who who are at the beginning of a journey back to God. You're full of questions just like I was. If that's you, I would love to help you on that journey. If you're with us this morning at 10 a.m., you can click on the Learn More tab above. It will take you to a page on our website where you can do several things. On that page, you can connect with me, and I would love to help you on that journey. If you're seeking for answers to some of the things I've talked about today and would like some helpful resources, I would love to send you some booklets. On that same page, if you will give me your name and contact information, I will personally package up, personally, I will package up, and I will mail you the story of Jesus as it is found in the Gospel of Mark. I'll send that to you. If you're interested in the historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection from the dead, you can let me know that on that page, and I will send you a booklet entitled The Case for Christ, written by a well-known atheist who turned to Jesus after researching the evidence for his resurrection. And if you're simply wondering what's the purpose of your life, I can send you a booklet entitled What on Earth Am I Here For? And I promise I won't give anyone your contact information. No one will contact you in any way that you do not want. The purpose is not to get you on our mailing list, but it's to begin a conversation. If you're curious and you're watching after our 10 a.m. online service, after this airs live, you can go to that same page and get those same resources, again, by going to 12thav.org learn learnmore. 1-2-T-H-A-V-E dot O-R-G slash L-E-A-R-N-M-O-R-E. It should be on your screen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for loving us more than life itself. God, life is hard and uncertain. So much pain, hurt, and heartache seems to surround us. And yet, knowing this, you still willingly gave up your life and became God with us, and God who rescues us. Thank you for that. You changed my life. Because of your sacrifice, we can spend eternity with you. There is no pain, Lord, you cannot conquer, no hurt you cannot heal, no life you cannot transform. Your death and resurrection prove that nothing is impossible for you, and that we are more than conquerors because of you. Today and every day, help us to fix our hearts and our minds on you. And as we do, please give us more of your joy, hope, and peace. We love you. We want to worship you. May your fame extend into all the world and among all nations. We ask all of this because of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus. Amen. If you haven't yet, I encourage you to accept the risen Jesus. He will forgive you and your sin debt, he'll bring you into relationship with himself, and he will give you new life, transforming you from the inside out. I know. For he is risen. He is risen indeed.